because it's more about who you are being in that role and the values that you're living out. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. That's right, we're back and officially kickstarting season six with a brand new feature. It's crazy to think that we're already more than halfway through 2023. I have no idea where the year's gone, but so much has happened. Just recently, we reached over 350,000 all-time listens across over 240 episodes, which is a number that we can't quite wrap our head around. But thank you so much for all our long-time listeners, for your ongoing support. And to all our new listeners, thank you for tuning in and welcome to the family. For this month's feature, it is an absolute honour to introduce none other than Dr. Trudy Lin who is not only an incredible dental specialist and role model within our industry, being one of 25 special needs dentists, but also a huge advocate for equitable access to oral health for all patients, regardless of their circumstances, with her work and contributions granting her the South Australian Young Australian of the Year Award in 2022. For most of us, we spend our entire day working in a small little room, in a small little dental clinic, in a small little suburb or town, and we can be so caught up in our small little bubble that we lose sight of the bigger picture, what's out there, and the healthcare system as a whole. For those that work within the public system on hospital, your catchment is a little bigger. But even then, there are still patients that fall through the gaps and don't get access to the services that we may take for granted and are experiencing things that we don't even comprehend. In this conversation, Dr. Trudy sheds light on the matter, discussing her journey in becoming one of 25 special needs dental specialists within Australia, her role within citizen advocacy, self-funding a supported independent living facility for those with special needs, becoming a mindset and leadership coach and a public speaker. I think some big themes for this month's feature, including our giving projects, which Hayden will talk about in just a moment, but they include inclusivity, equitability and community. We are so fortunate to be in the positions that we are in, to be in this career. It can be stressful for sure and it's easy to get caught up in our own little worlds. But I feel conversations like this are a great reminder to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Recognize the position that we're in and ways that we can give back and the small little things that we can do that can make a huge impact so that others are able to experience the same opportunities that we do. I'm so excited to share this motivating conversation with Dr. Trudy, but before we get to that, I'd like to hand it over to Hayden's Corner. Thanks, Erica. Welcome, everyone, back to The Giving Project. For our June's Giving Project, we're joining Dental Aid's 2023 CPD for a cause by donating $1,000 to back their support for the Palmera Projects, an Australian-registered charity operating in Sri Lanka. This full-day event brings together incredible speakers such as Dr. Mehdi Rahimi, Dr. Esam Malati, and Dr. Carolina Perez, to name a few. It's $500 for dental professionals and $75 for students, and 100% of your ticket fee goes to charity. Join it live in Sydney on Saturday, August 12th, or stream it online at your leisure over the next four months. But if you're all CPD'd out and you would rather dance your dental stresses away, then have no fear, because we've got you covered. For this month's July Giving Project, we'll be supporting the SSN Foundation's annual Gala Ball. This event will be raising funds to provide basic healthcare for vulnerable and underprivileged children within Australia. It's a black and white themed night full of glitz and glamour, including a three-course dinner, drinks, and performances. 
as our contribution to the cause, we'll be giving away four tickets for our friends and listeners. So keep your eye out on our socials for how you can win. Remember, both events happen on August 12th. So make sure to check out our show notes or socials for more information on how you can get back to either of these causes. And please remember that every bit counts. Thank you so much. And now back to Erica and Trudy. Well, Dr. Trudy Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on the Dental Head Start podcast. It is an absolute honor to have you finally join our show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I think we always say that with bringing guests on is always so exciting. And I think in particular, you know, within our industry, when we get our little celebrities on the show, such as yourself, <laughs> um, it's a big, exciting moment for everyone because, you know, not only are you a you know wonderful dentist, but you've achieved so much at such a young age, being South Australian, Young Australian of the Year for 2022. Won so many different awards, accomplished so much for you know just in your youth and I'm really excited to dive into everything that you do in today's episode. Yeah that's great it's still really strange to hear me refer to as a celebrity Um, but thank you for (laughs) your very kind words. I am always very happy to share like my experiences and if it can inspire other people then that is the reason why I keep doing what I do. Yeah no absolutely and I think just to kind of start things off And I think when we first heard about you, particularly around end of last year, Trudy, when you won your award and you were invited as one of 10 everyday Australians to attend the Queen's funeral. Now, that's obviously a huge honour and such a big event to be a part of. Can you tell us a little bit about what went through your head when you were you know, told about this and what that overall experience was like? Yes. Oh, it was, I think the best way to describe it is that it was very surreal. And even now it still feels yeah. very surreal. And I wonder, you know, if it really happened. <laughs> like when I first got the call from the prime minister's office, I actually initially thought that it might be a prank. And so <laughs> as she was talking to me, I actually looked up her name on LinkedIn and it said, oh, Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. And I went, that's when it sunk in. I went, wow, okay, this is real. And it dawned on me just how significant this was, not for me as an individual, but for my patients and for special needs industry and for basically our profession as a whole, because this invitation was shining the spotlight of the importance of special needs dentistry and oral health care. And it's been amazing because, you know, just the invitation and me being at the funeral has actually raised a lot of awareness and visibility for oral healthcare advocacy because it was like this recognition of the contributions of oral healthcare professionals in our country. And I felt like such a strong sense of duty and responsibility to be a worthy representative of our profession and that service that we provide to the community, but also because I'm a very proud Australian citizen as well. So wanted to do our country proud. That's incredible. See, most people get those calls and they think it's a spam caller trying to sell them something, but you get it from the prime minister and you're being invited to the Queen's funeral. <laughs> I can imagine the skepticism at first, but what I think you say that's really interesting is, yeah, it's beyond it just being you as an individual being invited to a major event. So I don't see myself as being like, for example, like the Young Australian the Year Award. I don't see myself as the recipient of the award. I feel that it's more a recognition of my specialty. So the work that I do, so special needs dentistry. And that's where it, it kind of 
I think that's the true purpose of the awards is not to recognize individuals, but to recognize the important contributions that they're making. So for me, it's special needs dentistry. And I think that representation is really important and taking it away from just one person and making it much bigger than just yourself. Because it, I, I, this is one of the other things that came out of the funeral was I found it very moving and it was very unexpected that I received many messages from people across Australia, from people that felt that they shared like their some aspect of their identity with me. So lots of people in our profession, lots of young females who are aspiring to try and make an impact in their own respective ways. And a lot of Australians who have an Asian background as well. They sent me these messages saying how much it meant for them to have me there representing them, representing Australia. And it was just really profound for me to experience that. And I'm very humbled and grateful to really have a new level of understanding of how important that representation is. Yeah, beautiful. It's so impactful because now being given such a huge, like in that opportunity came such a big platform to share what you do and also shed light to the general public about what's a very niche area of dentistry. And I imagine all those news articles, people obviously want to know, oh, who are these you know, 10 everyday Australians that have been invited to the Queen's funeral? And then, oh, okay, they see your name and then what you do, as we say, you're one of 24 uh, special needs. Yes, there's 25 of us now. Is that right? Yes, 25, 25 now. It's increased. <laughs> we're growing in numbers. Yeah, but yes, we're, we're very much still an endangered species. So definitely you have the, the conversations that are happening. Like before this, there are a lot of people in the general public that didn't even know that special needs dentistry even exists. But because of the spotlight that that invitation had, like not just nationally, but internationally as well, is just amazing because now so many people are aware of the fact that, hey, this niche exists, that this is a really big need and there needs to be more attention on it. So yeah, it's just incredible. Like I just feel so humbled that I happen to be the person that was there, but really it's not about me. It's about my, like all the other 25 specialists that do the same thing that I do. It's so incredible. And Trudy, I was saying to you just off podcast before, but our goal on the Dental Head Start podcast is really to show our listeners just how wide dentistry can be. It's not all just clinical. It's not just drill and fill holes all day, day in, day out. There are so many different avenues that you can explore. And we've spoken to people who are practice owners, people who have done um, advocacy work, who have gone and volunteered, that have gone into leadership, gone into coaching, um, all these different avenues. And you are just one of these people that I wanted to really dive into your story because, yeah, you've gone into a specialty, but then taken it beyond that done public speaking, advocated on a national, international level. And so let's bring it back now and, you know, right down to the beginning. Did you always see yourself coming into this role? You mentioned that you thought you were just really fortunate to be, you know, one of those 25 specialists who have been given this platform. But do you feel like speaking and specializing in special needs was always your calling and your vocation? How did this all come about? Mm, Yeah, so this is a question I get asked very often. And it's quite interesting that you use the words like calling and vocation, like that definitely comes up. Like a lot of people, when they see the work that I'm doing, or they meet me and they feel my passion for it, they think, okay, they ask me like, oh, do you feel like you're always called to this work and this profession? So 
Like the short answer would be yes. Like I definitely feel like I'm called um, to this work, but I'd also love to expand on how I define my calling. Um, this is because I'm a, I'm a mindset coach, so I love this kind of stuff. And I think it would be helpful for like your listeners to like hear this as well, because my understanding of what my calling is has really evolved to be a much broader definition. As I said, this is mainly because of the influence of my mindset coaching and now because I now coach other oral healthcare professionals in how they can find engagement in their careers as a dentist as well. So I used to define my calling as being a quote-unquote dentist, but you can notice how narrow that is as like it's one specific job or role. So if I continue to believe that my calling is being a dentist, then what happens when due to some unforeseen circumstance, I can no longer practice as a dentist? Right? It means that I then lose my sense of purpose, my sense of identity and my passion if I can no longer work in that calling. And clinical dentistry, it does require a certain level of physical capacity. So it's quite probable that any one of us who are clinicians could just suddenly out of nowhere lose our capacity to work through becoming injured, getting a chronic medical illness or some other physical limitation. And that actually did personally happen to me. I went from becoming like, so basically my before was young, fit, healthy person, never had any medical conditions in my life. I had run a 105 ultra marathon in the past, was training for an Ironman triathlon, you know, and then I suddenly got diagnosed with three chronic medical illnesses resulting from long COVID. And it was very challenging to navigate my sense of purpose and identity when I was defining being a dentist and being a specialist in special needs dentistry as my vocation and my calling. Because then when I lost my capacity to practice clinically for a significant period of time, it felt like I'd lost my ability to contribute and make impact, right? So the process that I went through to redefine my calling, and this is one of the things I help my coaching clients through when they feel like they've lost their sense of engagement um, in their career, is that defining your calling not by a specific role but making it more values driven and driven by something that really matters to you so to give my story as an example the way that I developed my passion for oral health basically from childhood was that I saw the impact that oral health had on my dad's life because he has this severe form of tetracycline staining so that's how I learned that oral health is so important and I wanted to become a dentist to help prevent other people from experiencing the same struggles that he did. Now, the question that I asked myself to find the underlying value that's driving that passion was what was the reason why that mattered to you so much? What, what was it about my dad's experience that caused me to understand how important it was and drove me to want to make a difference in the area? And so now I have so much clarity as the underlying reason why I was passionate about oral health care. It's actually because one of my strongest values is inclusion. So my definition of inclusion is that every person matters and every person deserves access to live to their full potential. And it was my dad's experience with oral health that showed me that oral health is essential for being included in society. So his story is that he came to Australia at the age of 26, excited to start a new life in Australia, the land of opportunity. And I saw him get excluded from job opportunities because they'd reject him in job interviews based on how his smile looked without considering his qualifications. 
I saw him experience exclusion socially because he experienced judgment from other people looking at his teeth and he felt so much shame. And then this had a really negative impact on his self-esteem and held him back from living the life he wanted to lead and having the self-confidence to live to his potential. And so that's how I learned that oral health is the gateway to being included in society. So now, instead of defining my calling as being a dentist or being a specialist in special needs dentistry, my calling is to contribute to building a more inclusive society where every person can live to their full potential. And helping people access oral health care in my role as a dentist is one of the avenues in which I can do this. So this broader definition now opens me up to fulfilling my calling in so many more ways that doesn't just depend on me being a dentist, working in a clinic, right? So when I lost my capacity to practice clinically, I started fulfilling my calling in other ways. And so that's what led to all my different roles, some of the ones that you've mentioned and other passion projects I'm involved in. You know, the underlying thread of all of those things I'm doing now is all about building inclusion and helping people access their true potential. You know, as a mindset coach for oral healthcare professionals, as a motivational speaker, as an inclusion advocate, those are all tied in together with inclusion. So to anyone listening, I would really encourage you to do this for yourself as well. Like try to create a calling which is more values driven, which creates that feeling of passion and engagement, no matter what job or role that you're in, because it's more about who you are being in that role and the values that you're living out. And the great news about this is that it means you can find your sense of fulfillment in your calling and your career, even if you're not someone that initially felt called to dentistry. You know, there may be people that feel like they went into dentistry because of external expectations, or maybe they just don't feel that strongly about it. But if you decide that you've invested your time and effort into dentistry, into dental school, and would like to continue working in it, then through changing your mindset, you can actually make dentistry one of the avenues in which you fulfill your overall kind of life calling. So for example, if you're someone who values kindness and builds your calling around leaving every person better than how you found them, you can do that in your role as a dentist. Or if your value is about learning and improvement, your calling is to continue like evolving and challenging yourself, you can do that through your role as a dentist. So yeah, I, I get very passionate about this. So I, I should probably end off this question now. But yeah, spend some time intentionally thinking about what your values are. Trudy, I can't tell if it's because it's winter right now or if I've just, from your listening to you, I've just gotten chills all over. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the later. I did warn um, you but like, off, offline, like before the podcast started, that if you get me on a topic I'm very passionate about, I'll just keep talking about it. No, I absolutely love that. And I feel like that's such a fabulous perspective to come from. And, you know, having spoken to a lot of people now, I'm a new grad, I'm only five, six months out and I speak to a lot of other new grads. And it's a common theme that I think exists in dentistry where people fall into it, not necessarily because, you know, they dreamed of becoming a dentist at five years old. Look, we have some people that always knew that they wanted to be a dentist, but a lot of people fall into it um, because of circumstances, because of expectations. You get through all these arduous years of dental school and you graduate, you're excited. But then I feel a lot of people go through this burnout phase where it's just oh is this my day-to-day is it just a nine-to-five you're treating patients look you might find enjoyment in it but when you see it very much as just this occupation and that's all it is to you without that external and deeper 
value-driven motivation, I can see that it becoming tiring or it be- you losing that energy and drive to continue with it. And I love how you reshape it in a way of, okay, come back to your core values. And I love how it's not just, it's different for everyone. You mentioned before that it could be whether you want to be inclusive of everyone, if you want to spread kindness, if you want to be the be- very best that you personally can be. If you use that as your motivating factor, then you should be able to find ways to fulfill it and treat dentistry as just an avenue. It's such a fascinating perspective to come from. You mentioned before about inclusivity and how you were very shaped by your father's experience and his experience of being judged by others and excluded. Did that, you did your passion for inclusivity? draw from any other experiences, you know, personally, yourself, or from other people that had an impact in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the other things that drew me more towards that special needs specialty as well was the fact that I have a number of family members, not just my dad, who actually experience like different types of medical and kind of disability kind of like conditions that led to additional barriers and that definitely fed into my passion for inclusion so namely my youngest brother Aaron who has autism um, and also I have multiple family members who have had their own cancer battles and two of my grandparents who I was very close to they both passed away from cancer and so definitely drawing upon their lived experiences and it showed me how there are all these barriers and challenges that are created by the environment around them. What I like to talk about and share about is the fact that disability is a social construct. It's not actually due to the person's condition. It's actually because of the way that society has created all these barriers that make it difficult for them to access care. So a really good example that illustrates this is if you think about a person who uses a wheelchair. So there's actually nothing wrong with that person having to use a wheelchair, you know, if there was a ramp for that person to be able to get into the building. So Mm -hmm. the medical, there used to be this medical model of disability that was all about trying to fix that individual and going that person's impairment or disability and condition is the bad thing and that's what we need to fix. Whereas the social model is more about recognising that well, actually, there's nothing wrong with that person having that particular condition as long as the environment around them is built to include them. So in that example I gave earlier, the person using a wheelchair only becomes a disability when there are stairs, when there aren't ramps for them to be able to get into the building. So that is one of the things that I think really drawing upon lived experiences of my family helped me to have a greater understanding of that. And that has only that basically got me to um, continue to build this awareness about inclusion. And um, it's one of the reasons why some people may have heard of this. Um, uh, One of the other reasons I was recognized with the award was because I self-funded the construction of a universally accessible facility for people with disability to live in the community. And that, again, came from the fact that I saw, um, it actually came from one of my patients who He basically became homeless because they shut down some of the large institutions, which had a lot of people with disability living in them. And then he had this NDIS funding, but could not find any houses that were built to be basically universally accessible for him because he used a wheelchair from a motor vehicle accident. And so this patient became homeless and his sister was building him a house from scratch 
out of her own pocket mm. so that her brother had somewhere to live. And I remember hearing that story. Firstly, I was so moved by that sister's love for her brother and just thought it was amazing. And then I, I still clearly remember this night so well. And I remember going home that night and I could not sleep because I kept thinking about what about all of the other people out there who have disability that are now homeless, but they don't have family members that have the capacity to then be able to build them a home like that. You know, what? how are they going to find a place to live? That was what planted the seed. And it was a very long and difficult, arduous journey. But like, uh, basically, I think it was about three years later. And it was like, right, like as the COVID-19 pandemic (laughs) just started. But hey, it happened anyway. (laughs) I managed to, yeah, make that a reality, I, I built uh, or self-funded the construction of a facility where people can live yeah, in the community with the independence that they deserve. And yeah, it's just been something that's really helped me clinically because now I have an even better understanding of all these little things that we take for granted because, you know, privilege The thing with privilege is that it's invisible to those that have it, you know, so the only way that you can break down this invisible privilege that you have is by actually really putting yourself in the shoes of that other person. And so in the designing and the liaising with all these different experts, like building, you know, I had no idea about like all these building kind of things and everything like that, because my expertise is the oral healthcare professional, but I learned so much in that process, like so many things, like for example, well, how wide the doorway is, but also thinking about the fact that when you have a twisting doorknob, how that's actually a really big barrier to people that might have manual dexterity issues or wrist pain. And so using a lever doorknob will make it so much more accessible. And things like the temperature on the bath, so making sure that there is a hot water system where you cap the the temperature that something could go to because someone with vision impairment or has like, you know, different sensory kind of pickups and isn't able to pick up heat as well as other people will then, you know, create more barriers and challenges for them to be able to safely live in that home. So through that whole process, I learned so much more and it made me a better clinician because now I understood all of these different things that um, people with certain conditions need a face that's created by our society and can be broken down by thinking about using universal design principles and things like that. And so, yeah, I guess that's that's an, another example of how you can, you don't need to limit yourself to just clinical dentistry. Like, you know, the story of my patient and then the way that I got the connections to the people that helped me eventually make that passion project a reality that evolved from dentistry, but it came, you know, who knew that a dentist could then one day end up, you know, being part of that residential education space. And now this has led to a lot of opportunities for me to raise awareness about inclusion in general and the social construct that disability is and change people's perceptions of how they actually define and understand the term disability. That's really powerful. That's so beautiful to hear. And one sentence that you said that I feel like just resonated with me so much is that privilege is invisible to those who have it. And it goes beyond just, I guess, you know, being able and versus people who have disabilities or conditions that prevent them um, from doing certain things. But even, you know, coming back to what we said at the very beginning of the story where you shared your dad's journey about, you know, having tetracycline staining on his teeth and how, you know, we take it for granted that, you know, we have white teeth that no one bats an eye. But, you know, to someone who doesn't have that, 
it makes such a big difference. And you know, even before you were mentioning how after winning your um, award and attending the Queen's funeral, how you had so many people reaching out to you, people that saw themselves in you as a young, you know, Australian Asian woman, you know, representing a minority. It's just for people who don't have that or don't go through those things, they don't necessarily realize the different things that can affect you. So I think that's so powerful. And I really love that lens that you talk about it through. And it's really exciting and really interesting to hear about all the little things you're mentioning as part of this facility with the doorknobs, with the hot water system. We take that for granted as someone who is manually dexterous, as someone who isn't visually impaired, but you don't realize until you put yourselves in other people's shoes and start to relate to them. Just, yeah, what differences it can make. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day, our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business a solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. Trudy, I wanted to ask you, as I'm listening to you, I realize we're like neck deep in you know, this well that you've you're now involved in and I kind of want to wind it all back to the very beginning you mentioned before about what inspired you to start dentistry but I kind of want to talk about your journey I guess from dental school upon graduating and then how you then found yourself in special needs what that journey was like and how you feel like your mission or your calling has changed over the years did you always know that you wanted to specialize in special needs when you were still a dental student or how did that kind yeah, of evolve? So that's a that's like really good to to tease out because well I didn't know that special needs dentistry existed as a specialty when I entered yeah. dental school. So I didn't know from the start that that is what I was going to specialize in. I knew so when I entered dental school I knew that I definitely wanted to be a type of dentist that could look after any person who made it to my dental chair. And that was because I strongly believe that every person deserves access to care, no matter what their age, race, gender, medical status, whether or not they had a disability. And so then basically when I found out that there was an elective at the special needs unit in my final year of dental school, I then applied for it because I went, that is the perfect fit for me. I want to be the type of dentist that can do treatment so the whole range of treatments see my patient through from beginning to end which is the really great thing about special needs dentistry as a specialty if you're someone that really loves the variety of doing all aspects of general dentistry you then get to continue to you know develop all of those clinical skills and then secondly having the ability to look after any person so special needs dentistry basically gives you that ability you can just be confident that any person that makes it to your dental surgery you'll know how to look after them. And so it was really that combination of, and this is why the advocacy side of things is so important, is that I hope that now more and more dental students will be aware of the fact that this specialty exists and they might be able to, you know, connect that with what they want to do like earlier on in their 
in their dental school journey. Although for me, like as soon as I did get that exposure in my final year of dental school, I just knew that this was <laughs> this was the path I was going to take. So I didn't waste any time with that. I did my immediately. I was like, okay, first year out, I went and did my primaries. So most universities that offer the specialization training for special needs dentistry, which is a doctor of clinical dentistry, they require either for you to complete your primary examinations, the RACDS, or to have done a honours project, which has some relevance to special needs. And so I did my primaries training in my first year out. And then I got a job as a general dentist in that same special needs unit to continue to gain more experience and exposure looking after people with special needs. And yeah, after two years of that, I then applied for the specialty and got in and the rest is history. <laughs> Trudy, how does special needs dentistry differ from general dentistry? I assume like how does treatment how are treatment modalities different or how are your patient demographics different? What are the I guess yeah, similarities and differences between what you would do and a general dentist? Mm. So We'll start by defining what special needs dentistry is. So it's because it's very diverse. It involves looking after people who have conditions or circumstances which put them at higher risk of oral health issues and then who may face additional barriers in being able to access care and so therefore require quote-unquote like special techniques or different approaches to be able to then provide that care for them. So the two broad categories that these patients would fit into include disability and then medical complexities. So a lot of the general groups would include head and neck cancer patients because of all the side effects that radiotherapy and chemotherapy can have in the oral cavity. The elderly, because of the in the normal process of aging, they will tend to accumulate disability and medical issues. But also, it can also include people who are experiencing very challenging, like psychosocial circumstances that put them at higher risk of oral health issues and general health issues. So, this includes people experiencing homelessness or potentially domestic violence. So, it is very broad, but as you can notice, It's basically general dentistry on a specific subset of patients. But if you think about it, any one of these patients and any one of the patients that you look after in a general dental practice could end up fitting under that special needs dentistry umbrella at any point in their lives. You know, and that includes all of us as clinicians as well. You know, and this is why I really believe in breaking down that stigma against that word disability because disability is actually just natural human diversity. Like every one of us will actually fit into that category at some point in our lives through whether that be through aging, the natural process of aging, or if you have an illness or an accident, you know. So I think it's really important to think about disability as diversity. So one of the words that I like to use just to help people's minds to grasp that is instead of the using the word disability using the term diversibility because Mm. when you hear the word disabled it kind of tends to make you think about what they're not able to do whereas when you think of the word diversibility what does that make you think of their ability right differences variety yeah yeah their ability and how it's just different and diverse and there's nothing wrong with Mm. diversity is there in fact diversity is this amazing thing that we should be really embracing and really enriches like our communities right so 
yeah, that's just one of the things that I think is really important to understand is that, you know, I want people to understand that, of course, there are some subsets of patients that are very complex and do require a special needs dentistry specialist to help manage their care. But at the same time, you as a general dentist, please be open to looking after like any person that makes it to your dental chair, because the reality is any one of those people and yourself could end up in that special needs industry category at some point. I think you you mentioned it earlier when you talked about how after, you know, personally experiencing long COVID and it bringing on an onslaught of, you know, three separate chronic conditions for yourself, I think that really put it into context. And it just reminds me of how many conversations I've had with, you know, colleagues who you realize that when you're, you take, again, coming back to that whole idea of taking things for granted and then not realizing that it can affect anyone. Any of us can one day wake up and have a chronic condition. We can, we hear about it, you know, dentists all the time will injure a hand, injure your back from whatnot that leaves you unable to do things. And yeah, I think that stigma of disability comes from that mindset of thinking, oh, that would, that's not me. Or like, you know, that would never happen to me. But when you realize that it could happen to anyone, it's a part of just, you know, human existence and just variety and diversity. It kind of, yeah, again, you see it through a different perspective. Yeah. Rather than putting it in an other category, like, oh, that's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. And so I really encourage people not to do that with the patients that you see. So for example, if you see that a person has a particular disability or condition that you're not really familiar with, instead of just putting them in this other category, like, oh, okay, that's for the specialist to deal with, actually get to know that person's condition and, you know, realize that there's so much diversity and nuance to every single condition as well. So just because that person has autism, it doesn't mean that they automatically need to be referred to a specialist. You think about every person with autism has a very unique experience and, you know, that's why it's called the autism spectrum. And so, you know, get to know that person and see if there is a way that maybe you might be able to offer your your services and take some time to get to know that person. And then it means that you can be practicing special needs dentistry. It's not something that's just for specialists. But if you want to become a specialist, Please do because there's so few of us. We need some more out there. But yes, I would really love, there's so much like need out there that I would really love for as many general dentists as possible to have that openness and willingness to look after some of the less complex like special needs patients so that we can get that equitable access to care for every person because every person deserves it. Absolutely. Do you have any general advice then for general dentists who have a patient with those um, special needs come in or how we go about treating them? I really love how you say, you know, take your time just getting to know them and discover what things you can do to accommodate and better look after them. But do you have any other general advice on what we can do? Yes. So actually, this is like some really a tangible, there is this tangible tool that you can use. So there is an evidence-based like special needs patient complexity assessment tool that was developed by the British Dental Association. And this can be very helpful for general dentists to use as a referral tool to help them determine if that patient is suitable to be seen in the general practice or if they may require referral to a specialist. And what I love about the tool is even if you don't use it to help with referring, you can actually just use it as a framework to help break down the different aspects that you consider when you're information gathering for a patient who has these extra layers of complexity. So 
basically they have these six domains, which then breaks down the different things you need to consider in your decision making when providing dental care for this person. So it includes assessing that person's ability to communicate, their ability to cooperate, their medical status, oral risk factors, which include if they have dry mouth, for example, or dietary risk factors that make them at higher risk of um, dental disease, their access to care, and then finally legal and ethical barriers, which relates to their ability to consent. So I've actually done research on the BDA case mix tool in the Australian context, and it was published in the BDJ earlier this year. So if you're interested in learning more about it and using that tool, you can certainly look up that article. But yes, it's a very useful framework to help you have some systematic way of breaking down all of those things because sometimes it can otherwise feel a little bit overwhelming, like a bit of like an information overload. How do I stratify it? And so this tool is very useful for that. But yeah, I think like the other piece of advice I would give relates to yeah what I said before around being really open to learning and getting as much information and support as you can. Like learn from your patient, learn from their caregivers, liaise with their medical team and if they have any other allied health professionals. And one of the things I will point out is that given that there is an increasing number of people who have polypharmacy, we have an aging population, there are more and more medications these days that cause risk of Enronge medication-related osteonecrosis of the jaw, it's very useful to get a collateral history from their medical team in addition to the medical history that's self-reported from a patient or caregiver just to make sure that there is accuracy in that because, you know, these days you may find that patients forget to report medications like dunosumab because it's only administered every six months as opposed to a daily medication. And if you've had a patient that has been discharged from hospital in the last six months, it's good to get a copy of the hospital discharge summary because many elderly patients are in hospital because they've had a fall. They might have a fracture and then the doctors give them a dose of dunosumab while they're in hospital and then they completely forget to report that to you. But again, that's a really important thing for you to know um, as a dentist if you're going to undergo any yeah like surgical procedures so that is one really key piece of advice that I would say is always get collateral history and make sure that medical history is from a medical practitioner as well as the patient absolutely we mentioned before as well Trudy that patients I guess someone that we might commonly see is someone that has autism or is part of the autism spectrum do you have any advice in particular for treating these patients and you know what we can do to make that appointment as seamless or as easy for them or for both parties involved? Mm, yeah. So basically it's it goes back to what I was saying before is like be careful not to just see that diagnosis of, of autism and then put all of your preconceived assumptions and ideas about autism on that person. Like you may have heard this like adage before, but when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Every person will have a very different experience. So having said that, yeah, again, that's why my general advice around special needs industry patients is to make sure you're getting as much information as you can about that individual. And particularly for people with autism, I would say because of the fact that 
we recognize and understand a lot of people with autism have sensory sensitivities to many things that may trigger them when they attend the dental surgery. So for example, the bright lights, the the smells, the noises, the busy waiting rooms, those are all things that we classically understand a lot of people with autism experience that are very stressful. And so if you can get a chance, try to have a phone conversation and touch base with them or I usually do a video consultation as well with them to meet them ahead of time when they're in a non-stimulating environment. If the first time that you meet them is when they're stressed because they've been overstimulated from all these sensory triggers, like in the dental surgery, you're less likely to be able to get like a good outcome of being able to, you know, look inside their mouths because they're meeting you for the first time and they're in a very heightened and stressful state already. So if you can gather as much information ahead of time from their caregiver, find out what things trigger them, what things make them safe and feel comfortable, ask them to bring their sensory toys with them because a lot of them will have their own personalized strategies that have worked with them when they come to, you know, public places which where the environment is not suitable to help them. And so Doing all of that ahead of time before they actually make it to the dental chair can be very, very useful. And in fact, like because right now I actually have taken it a step further and majority of my clinical practice is actually in a mobile dental service. So I actually go to do home visits for people with autism because I've found that there were a lot of patients that by the time they go through the stress of getting to the dental surgery, they may not be able to you know, have any treatment done and then end up getting referred off for general anesthetic, which, as we know, carries a lot of short and long-term health risks. And I'm very passionate about reducing that. And so by going to see patients in the safety of their own home, where they have access to all their sensory toys, where they're in a familiar environment, where they're surrounded by their loved ones, it just completely changes their relationship with oral health care and you can achieve these amazing things, these patients that otherwise would have never been able to sit still in a dental chair um, and always had to have treatment under general anesthetic. I come and see them in their home and they just are able to have fillings and cleaning and x-rays and they don't need to have a general anesthetic for the rest of their life. So yeah, so I think my advice to bring it back to advice for if you're working in a like fixed clinic is to see how much of that information gathering and rapport building you can do ahead of time before they're in the dental chair and in that stressful environment. Mm-hmm. I love how you mentioned and the, again at the very beginning of the the podcast how a lot of our attitude towards it is just it's it's a social construct being the norm of coming into a busy waiting room and then coming into a chair with bright lights and you know for us we assume that that's just how it is but then when you take it back and break down that you know what things can we do to accommodate people who you know are triggered by those certain things and breaking down kind of our stigma and attitude towards that as well yeah exactly it's like recognizing and it's very simple like it can be just knowing asking them ahead of time to then bring in their earplugs and letting the staff know like not to you know look at them strangely because they're wearing like headphones and be like okay like that's because that's going to help reduce the amount of nervous system activation they have when they come into the dental surgery. Something simple like that can make a huge difference for them. And again, recognizing that it's not their fault. So sometimes patients get labeled as being, oh, this patient's really difficult. This patient is non-compliant. But if you put yourself in their shoes and you think, 
if you had all these sensory sensitivities and then you had to come to this appointment, you're not really sure why you need to be there. So if you have some like, you know, it hasn't been explained to you why you need to be there. And then you're sitting in this waiting room and being triggered by all these noises and all these bright lights and everything. And then a stranger wearing a mask and gloves wants to grip right up into your personal space. How do you think you would react? Maybe you might be a little bit like, you know, defensive and, you know, not really want to comply. And so, you know, it's just about understanding the individual, really putting yourself in their shoes and thinking about how can I make this like this person is someone that deserves care as much as anyone else. How can I be a person that can help facilitate that for them? As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. really thank you for kind of also helping change my perspective for it as well. And I think the one thing I come back to, it seems to yeah boil down to is having that empathy and not judging people and putting them in another category or seeing them as something different, but realizing that we all experience this to different degrees. Special needs isn't a particular patient. Everyone has their own you know, particular needs or things that help them better. I'm just thinking like it, just everyday patients that I see, I have patients that you know, just don't like the sound of the high-speed drill or don't like the sound of the suction. And- that is exactly right. Like it sounds so simple, right? Like, you know, all of us when we go through dental school are taught, yeah, be empathetic, right? Um, we all understand that and it's like a very simple concept. But the more that you really live into it and try to stretch your understanding and really get yourself as close as possible as you can be to that person's shoes, we can never understand, truly understand another human's experience. Only they will understand what it is. And that's why it's all about that focus on getting as much information you can from that person because they're going to be the the expert in their life and knowing what is best for them and what works for them and us just having that openness and willingness to be like, hey, this is natural human diversity. You know, there's nothing wrong and there's there's no stigma or judgment applied to any of it and that can go a really extremely long way. I think it's easy when we've been working in a profession for a bit of time and you see so many patients that you become desensitized or you become numb to it, jaded in some circumstances where you forget how it feels to be on the other end or you forget to empathize with people. I'm always reminded when I go and have you know, services done elsewhere, like, oh, I'll go to the bank and people talk to me. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're telling me. <laughs> or, you <laughs> go, or you go get a haircut, right? It's just when you're within your own little bubble, 
you forget that other people don't see it the same way that you do. And I think it's just coming down to putting yourselves in that person's shoes, remembering that, okay, this isn't their day to day. They don't live at the dental clinic like we do. And a lot of these experiences that we take as the norm isn't the norm for them. And it's perfectly normal to feel, you know, uncomfortable and we shouldn't judge them for that. Trudy, I wanted to, um, you actually dived into it beautifully before. And it's something I wanted to explore when you mentioned having those mobile dental surfaces and being able to treat patients in their own homes and trying to minimize the use of GA as much as possible. Because I think for a lot of us, we would think that, oh, you know, patients, special needs dentistry, a lot of it's treated under GA or IV sedation and, you know, within the hospital. And I kind of wanted to ask a bit more about that is just, yeah, where do special needs dentists typically work within? Is it in private? Is it mainly in the hospital? Do you do a lot of IV, GA? Do you, is it multidisciplinary? Like, what does that look like day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk about that. So the private, I guess like the pathways for if you become a specialist in special needs dentistry is that you can be hospital-based and do a lot of hospital dentistry, or you can then end up being in the private sector. And so in the hospital setting, there are actually a lot of different things that you'll get exposed to, particularly if you're in an actual medical hospital. So as opposed to just a dental hospital, you may be involved in looking after palliative care patients in a, their multidisciplinary team, as you said. You may also be involved in working up patients who are about to undergo a heart surgery or a lung transplant, any patient that has immunocompromise. And so they need to have a dental assessment and that's done by specialists and special needs dentistry to make sure that there's no infection inside their mouth so that they don't risk having an issue with when they actually undergo their surgery. So there's a lot of extra scope and like very specialized and very interesting things that you get to see and do as a specialist in special needs dentistry in a hospital setting. And also then in, but in the private practice setting, you do tend to still see, for example, like head and neck cancer patients who have undergone the most of their treatment through the hospital um, and then get discharged back to their general dental practice. But you can also work in, for example, for myself, there are some specialists that work in a typical dental practice some of the time and then also do domiciliary care, which is that mobile services. So you can do general anesthetic and IV sedation in either of those settings as a hospital dentist or in the private practice setting. For myself, I actually have a very strong passion for reducing the need of general anesthetic for dental procedures because of the fact that there is data that shows the long-term risks of dementia later in life. So every time you undergo general anesthetic, you increase the beta amyloid protein accumulation in the brain. And so that increases your risk of dementia later in life. And so if you think about a person with disability entire lifetime and how many general anesthetics that they may need for things like blood tests for sometimes they get their like they can't get their toenails cut or their hair cut and that's done under general anesthetic while we're doing their dental procedures <laughs> think about how this is like the reason why so many people with certain congenital disabilities end up getting alzheimer's and dementia later in life because of that cumulative risk of general anesthetic and for medical surgeries and things like that, unfortunately, you know, you got to weigh up the risks and benefits, right? They're, that is the only way that they'll be able to receive that care. However, I see dentistry as a really good avenue in which we can help prevent 
that cumulative risk by desensitization. And it's one of the things that I do a lot of at the moment. So I go to residential care facilities and look after people who have pretty severe dementia. And so general anesthetic is basically contraindicated because they might not wake up from the general anesthetic. And so basically what I do is I just want people to be understanding that general anesthetic does carry a lot of risk and to think about that cumulative risk and be educating caregivers as well because sometimes they may not have that understanding because there we can go a long way like there have been a lot of patients that have been referred to me and the general dentists or let's say previous dentists have referred to me specifically to say please see this patient under general anesthetic but I always start by assessing and seeing whether there is some alternative that we can use that's less risky, that doesn't carry nearly as much risk for that person. And you think about the long-term impact, like sure, it takes more time for me to desensitize them, but think about the fact that down the track might be preventing them from having a shorter lifespan because they end up with dementia that shortens their life. Yeah, it's just like very an area that I feel very passionately about. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You mentioned before how there's only there's now 25 actually. We've increased it by one since I last saw Judy, but 25 special needs dentists around Australia. What is that community like? And do you work closely with one another? Definitely, because there's so few of us. Like basically, we all know each other. Like, um, yeah, yeah, all very familiar <laughs> with each other. Um, and I feel is there like a secret group chat that you're all part of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some. Uh, there's a few because I think there's like the postgraduates are in training and they have their group yeah. chat, and then there's the ones that are the graduates and have graduated from it, and then there's some that kind of linger between the two <laughs> haven't left so still in the postgraduate group even though they've graduated become a specialist yeah. so it's really wonderful because I find that special needs dentistry tends to attract very like-minded individuals so people that share the same values of believing in the right of oral health care for every person and having that compassionate streak and wanting to really make a difference because when you are part of such a small specialty you've you feel connected to such a bigger vision. So as I said, like when I won the award, I really didn't see that award as coming to me, but coming to our specialty as as a whole because a win for one of us is a win for all of us because, you know, we're all in this together. We're all in our, even though we are in different states and also different countries, we also have, we're all connected by this underlying passion that we all have. We're all working towards the same goal of trying to help our patients as much as we can. So it is a very special community to be a part of. And we have got a academy of specialists in special needs industry across Australia and New Zealand. So that gives us the opportunity every year to gather together in person now that COVID has, um, you know, released some of the restrictions. And that is a really wonderful way for us to all feel that connection to each other because not only for us to then be able to think about advocacy engagements and how we can improve visibility and get more people into our specialty and understanding what special needs dentistry is, but also the other aspect is that special needs dentistry can be quite emotionally challenging as well. As you can probably imagine, like looking after people that have experienced quite severe difficult life circumstances and severe marginalization as a result of it as well. It can be quite challenging to manage it emotionally and it is quite different. Like our day-to-day, we may see like multiple patients and that can be 
you can take that on and that can like then end up causing like, you know, compassion fatigue or emotional burnout. I think one of the really important things is to feel connected to this community and realize there are other people that are on the same mission, doing the same work, understand what kind of challenges that you're facing in the day to day. And so certainly I would say like to make this relevant to all the listeners as a particularly if you're a new graduate it is really important to have that community of other new graduates who are experiencing similar things to what you are and can resonate with that and feeling safe to then be able to debrief about that in a non-judgmental space is really important for your long-term sustainability and well-being in the profession. That's actually something that I'm very passionate about (laughs) Trudy and I always say that One thing I miss from dental school is the lunchroom rant sessions (laughs) where, and I'm sure you had it as well, even in postgrad training where after a big morning or a big session, everyone's in the lunchroom and you're just being able to share those stories or get things off your chest, especially in an environment where you have to be, you know, being really compassionate for our patients and you're giving so much that yeah, the flip side of it that we may downplay is that you can burn out from it. You can get that compassion fatigue and that emotional burnout and something that it's very easy for us to dismiss. But then if you don't realize it and recognize it, you're, I guess, ultimately harming and hurting yourself and as well. And that impacts your ability to continue treating your patients and continue to to do what you need to. This is something a lot of us specialists say to each other as we say, you have to look after yourself in order to look after other people. So we're constantly reminding ourselves of that because sometimes we can get so focused on looking after our patients that we remember we have to put ourselves in the equation. So patient-centered care includes the person who is providing the care for the patient as well. Trudy, I know you've, you're a very busy woman, as we've um, discussed. You're probably off to do some triathlon training <laughs> shortly, but I wanted to end our podcast with a question we ask all our guests, and that is, if you had one piece of advice that you could share to every student, every budding young dentist, a new grad that's you know within their first few months, first few years, one piece of advice that you would share with them, what would it be? I feel like our whole conversation has been very advice-driven, but is there one take-home message you'd like to leave? A lot of people get the advice and I got this advice as well. You want to like be the best clinician you can be and thrive in your career to go get yourself a mentor. And I definitely like say yes I am definitely a big advocate for that advice but my second caveat to that is to also get yourself a coach Dr. Michael Manikos Dr. David Atia Dr. Derek Mahoney Dr. Dean Lysenblatt Dr. Mehdi Rahimi Dr. Amanda Foon Nguyen Dr. Novnil Kashyap Dr. Jesse Green Dr. Esa Malani Dr. David McIntosh Kathy Metaxas and Dr. Paul Homily. Do these names ring a bell? Presenting the Dental Summit 2023, bringing together Australia's most renowned dental experts and world-class speakers all together in the same room for the largest dental event of the year. Join like-minded individuals for two whole days' worth of CPD held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, September 1st and 2nd, followed by a cocktail gala night to remember. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced dentist, there's something in it for you. So in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit our show notes or the webpage tds23.com for more information. And just for Dental Head Start listeners, we've even managed to secure an additional 20% off. So make sure to use our discount code DHS20 at checkout. 
You'll find me, David, and hundreds of other dentists all in the one place. So if you don't want to miss out, then come join the fun. Because I feel like coaching is much less well-established in our industry as something that some people can access to help them to up-level in their career. But there are some really big benefits that you get from getting a coach that you may not be able to access with a mentor. Um, and I know we're wrapping up, so I won't go into too much more detail about that. But well, you, can tell, you can tell me a bit more about that. <laughs> yeah, so I would say that the difference between mentoring and coaching is that mentoring is very advice-based. It's very much about um, someone that's more senior than you or has more experience than you kind of offering their knowledge and expertise, right? Um, whereas coaching the coaching relationship is slightly different. Your coach is actually there to use specific skills, structured conversation and reflection to help you to find the answers from within yourself. And so this is why it can give you benefit in different ways. Um, the analogy I like to use is that in a mentoring relationship, your mentor is the person that has the gold. They have the knowledge and the expertise and then they offer their gold to their mentee. In a coaching relationship, the opposite is true. The coach sees the gold in their coachee and then helps them tap into the gold that they have within themselves. And so then what it does is it helps you to then, instead of always relying on some external authority to help you make decisions and guide you, it then allows you to tap into your unique contribution, your unique strengths to find your values so that you can create your your own personal mission statement um, because that's something that no one else can decide for you. Only you can decide that. You can't have a mentor tell you what your mission and what you should be doing. And so that's where getting a coaching relationship someone that can help you tease that out can just be something that really helps you to then up level in a way that you can't just access with a mentor so that is my advice get yourself a mentor and get yourself a coach thank you so much for listening to the dental head start podcast i genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist so if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.